may be seated. Today we continue our study as we look at the armor of God. Just think with me as, as if the Apostle Paul is taking you and me as, as Christian warriors and he is literally outfitting us uh, for, for battle. He is saying, here's your armor and you're to continually be ready to fight, having the belt of truth fastened tightly around you. That's what we considered last week as the Apostle Paul taught us about that particular piece of armor. And today, we are outfitted, so to speak. We are reminded that we are to continually have put on the breastplate of righteousness. This has been a, a difficult week in, in our country. And just a week ago, a horrible, wicked, evil event took place where one man, obviously full of hate and wickedness, murdered 58 of our fellow citizens in Las Vegas attending a concert. And I think the number is somewhere over 500 injured. And it's, it's shocking. It is, we're saddened at the loss of life. We're reminded that we live in a fallen world. And in God's providence at various points in human history, something like this happens to remind us just how sinful sinners can be. But even with all the tragedy and the chaos, there are glimpses in this event of, of selfless service, sacrifice for the benefit of another. I saw one of the recordings from one of the officer's body cameras that was running, and this officer came upon a, a woman who was terrified as the bullets were blazing about. I just can't imagine that, can you? And, and this officer took this woman to the ground and laid on top of her, and this is what he said, I have a jacket on. And he put himself literally between the bullets and her and the jacket to which he was referring was what is standard issue what is part of being outfitted as a policeman and that is a bulletproof jacket well brothers and sisters today Paul is telling us we need to have a jacket on it is the jacket that God provides that it's not a bulletproof vest much stronger than that. It is a breastplate of righteousness. So today, the message is very simple. The breastplate, the righteousness, and the putting on. Let us hear the word of God. We'll begin at verse 10 as we read from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through the end of verse 14. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let us pray. Father, as we consider this passage of Scripture today, and in particular this, this piece of the armor that you have provided for us, oh God, give us wisdom, help us to understand what this breastplate of righteousness is and how it is used to give us protection. That we might be encouraged that we have a jacket on as we do battle each and every day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, the breastplate. Maybe you've, you've read the, the classic work of John Bunyan, an allegory of the Christian faith, Pilgrim's Progress. It is one of my favorite pieces of literature, no doubt. It's incredibly helpful. I just want to take you to one, one part of Pilgrim's Progress at the, at the very beginning as we see Christian going to the house that the Lord of the Hill had, had, had made. And as he is at this house on his journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city, he is at this house and he finds himself being taken to the armory and he is suited up with armor as he will continue his journey on that path to the celestial city. And one of the pieces of armor that Christian has on is a breastplate. And so very shortly after leaving the house that the Lord of the Hill had built, fully armed, he comes to the Valley of Humiliation. And I would like to pick up and actually read some of the account from Pilgrim's Progress. So he came straight away to the Valley of Humiliation where he espied, that is Saul, I had to look it up, where he espied a foul fiend coming over the field to meet him. His name is Apollyon. And Bunyan continues, Then did Christian begin to be afraid and to cast in his mind whether to go back or to stand his ground. But he considered again that he had no armor for his back and there thought that to turn the back to him might give him, that is Apollyon, greater advantage with ease to pierce him with his darts. Therefore, he resolved to venture and stand his ground. Many like Bunyan, who wrote this in the 16th century, I believe, and, and uh, or 17th century, and understood this breastplate as only covering the front. And so he said, I can't turn my back and run. I have to stand my ground and face the enemy. Now, such a view of the breastplate makes for great drama. A Christian like 
Christian in Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress, standing and facing the enemy, resolute not to turn and run, but to stand his or her ground. Man, it's a great drama. But as the late Dr. Stott uh, said, though it may make for great dom- uh, drama, understanding the breastplate as only covering the, the front is, is a doubtful example of biblical <laughs> exegesis because the breastplate that, as Paul has in mind as he's describing this, this armor, a Roman soldier, and the breastplate of a Roman soldier covers not only the front but the back and it goes from the neck all the way down to somewhere about the thighs and so it's not like some little um, you know five and dime store plastic <laughs> shield you might buy that would just cover the front it's it's a significant piece of armament in fact the Greek word though raka translated breastplate is from the root thorax, the chest area. And really the, 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 the breastplate covering so much of the soldier's torso would protect most of the vital organs in, in his body. You know, one of my favorite uh, scriptures in all of scripture, and I, maybe we shouldn't have favorites, anyway, I do, and it's this one in 1 Kings chapter 18. It's, it's the prophet Elijah standing, I mean standing his ground against King Ahab and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And he stands his ground so well, so profoundly, that he even, and this is, I've kind of developed an, a new category of righteous taunting. I don't know if you've heard of that. Maybe someone else has talked about that. But Elijah's standing there, and he's taunting the prophets of Baal. You say you believe in Baal? Well, call them down. And, of course, they called and prayed and did all kinds of stuff, and Baal never showed up. And and Elijah says the Hebrews are a bit more graphic than I will be. Maybe he's out in the bushes relieving himself. I mean, he's taunting. And, of course, you know the story The altar soaked with water. Elijah simply prays. God comes down, consumes the altar, consumes the prophets of Baal, and Ahaz turns and runs. Right? What a great, great story of a man standing his ground, but more of God bringing judgment upon evil and wickedness. You know, there are times... That every one of us here today, if we're serious about the Lord Jesus Christ and living for him, we have to stand our ground like that. We have to do what Bunyan did. We we, we have to stand and face the enemy. Suggest we not taunt them like Elijah. He was a prophet. We're not. But we stand our ground. Maybe maybe you can think of, of all sorts of occasions for that. But I just simply want, want to give you one example that, that is a relatively recent example of many in the church collectively standing and facing the moral decay of our culture. Not turning and running, but standing and facing. And it's what is known as the Nashville Statement that has been written and has been 
sent out that is described as a witness publicly to the good purposes of God for human sexuality revealed in Christian scripture. It's a doctrinal statement that affirms the biblical teaching on marriage, on gender identity, on human sexuality. It's also a document that denies much of what our culture says is right, that is against the scriptures. And my hope is that this is facing the enemy, standing firm, graciously and lovingly to put forth truth and that the enemies of God would turn and run. But we need to understand this. There are times when the godly thing to do, the righteous thing to do, the wise thing to do is to turn and run as far away as we can from the enemy. And I would simply remind you of the account in Genesis chapter 39 of Joseph, who was eventually sold into slavery, mounted to slavery, became a servant in Potiphar's house, a trusted servant of Potiphar, and he's there in the bedchambers with Mrs. Potiphar by himself. <laughs> and Mrs. Potiphar has, has her eye on Joseph, and what does she do? She tries to seduce him, and she grabs Joseph's shirt. And what did Joseph do? He didn't stand there and face the enemy. Men, we can identify with Joseph and his uh, quickness of feet to turn and run from Mrs. Potiphar because of the inordinate desires of the heart are so strong. There's not a man here today that would not, that it would not be possible to succumb to so great a temptation as Mrs. Potiphar was to Joseph. But it seems to be from the text that Joseph didn't even, didn't even pause to think about it. It was, it was almost like it was just a godly reflex that he just turned and he ran. Unfortunately, she had hold of his shirt and she had that as evidence false evidence to falsely accuse him. He wound up in prison. But you know how that was all part of God's will to actually save, to redeem Israel, Jacob. And so there are times to turn and run. And when we turn and run, the breastplate of righteousness has our back. And the fiery darts will not penetrate. The breastplate. Do you see why the breastplate has to cover the front and the back? Do you see where there are times when we do stand and face the enemy and we rest and trust in the breastplate of righteousness to shield our front? And there are times when the right thing to do is to turn and run and the breastplate of righteousness protects our back. And what we find Paul saying here is this. That the breastplate of righteousness so protects us that, if, that we are protected in 360 degrees wherever the darts come. It's just going to bounce off 
this breastplate. For the one who wears the breastplate by faith. We are covered back and front. Now let's look at this second aspect of the breastplate. That it's, a, it's identified as a breastplate of, of righteousness. And, and I suggest that we, we need to think a little bit outside the box about exactly what Paul has in mind here with, with righteousness. Because my little theological mind goes immediately to what kind of righteousness? The imputed righteousness of Christ. And I think that is part of it. No doubt in my mind. The doctrine of justification, the imputed righteousness of Christ, the, the pardon from guilt that we receive by the blood of Christ, all received by faith, the doctrine of justification, that is foundation, that is central. No doubt that this understanding of righteousness is part of this. I mean, think, think about the fact that Paul says this in Philippians 3, where he says, not having a righteousness of my own, not a personal righteousness that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In other words, the, the righteousness as part of justification, the imputed righteousness of Christ, is not ours at all. It comes from God. It is all Christ's perfect righteousness. We're clothed in it. We're protected by it. We, 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 we think of Romans 8. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? No one because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. Who can separate us from the love of God? No one because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. I mean, when, when, you, when you think about ultimate protection, it's the imputed righteousness of Christ. That clothes the believer. Isn't that great? No matter how bad we mess up, if we are clothed in the imputed righteousness of Christ, we have a right standing before God in heaven. And that can never be taken away from us. Think about that. Did, did you get what I said? No matter how much we mess up. No matter how unrighteous we are, if we are clothed in the imputed righteousness of Christ, received by faith, we have a right standing before God, even in the depths of our sin. That's the gospel. And I would say that's some pretty powerful protection in the spiritual battle. Especially as one of the tactics of Satan is to accuse us, is to tempt us to have false guilt. Man, to be reminded of this righteousness that is our standing before God is a blessing that is unmeasurable. Paul, however, I think is referring primarily to another kind of righteousness. And it is personal righteousness. Rightly understood. The passage that, that Brandon read earlier from Isaiah 59, verse 17, speaks of the servant of the Lord, Messiah, putting on righteousness as a breastplate. And I believe this infers moral righteousness or living righteously. And Jesus did that. He lived righteously, didn't he? He was sinless. And that's why he's able to give us his perfect righteousness because he lived perfectly here on earth. So this is a moral righteousness and, and the breastplate of righteousness is described by one commentator like this. The, the purity and uprightness of Christian character, which is the result of the work of the Spirit of Christ. The inwrought righteousness, not merely the imputed righteousness. 
And so as I talk a little bit about this personal righteousness, this moral righteousness, this ethical righteousness, this, this uh, righteous uh, character, this, this devout living, this holiness, I do so meaning that it's all a product of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? We're covered, right standing before God, perfect righteousness of Christ, and we're freed up to really live righteously. To live out a life that's consistent with the commands of Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, you will sit back and do nothing. No, follow my commands, live righteously. And if you love me, you have the power, my power, received through faith to live righteously. So I, I just want to demonstrate that, that this seems to be what Paul is saying here. And first of all, I believe the Apostle Paul is, is, is speaking about this, this moral righteousness, our righteous living. Because if you look at the structure of Ephesians, what does he do in chapters 1 through 3's doctrine? Right, right truth. And there we see all these wonderful truths, and I think justification is all over the pages of chapters 1 through 3. And then in chapter 4, he, he, he makes a, a switch, and from chapter 4 all the way to the end of chapter 6, the, what the Apostle Paul is saying now, in light of these doctrines, in light of this truth, in, in light of, of right doctrine, you are to live rightly, righteous living. And we see this all through chapter 4 on to the end of the chapter. Where the Apostle Paul says in chapter 4, walk in a manner worthy of the calling in Christ to which you, you have been called. In other words, live righteously. Live a life consistent with the gospel. Live a life fueled by the gospel that you have through uh, faith. And I think a second reason is the immediate context. Remember from last week as we look, looked at the, at, the, at, at the belt of truth, there is, we, we heard the Apostle Paul help us understand that, that the truth is not primarily objective truth, the Word of God. It is that. But what Paul is, is referring to in the belt of truth is that we affirm God's Word says this is true and I embrace it as true. I believe it to be true to such an extent that this truth actually governs the way I live. And so it's belief in the truth that I believe is Paul's primary concern with the belt of truth. And I think it's the same here. It is not this Paul is saying the objective word of God is not part of the belt of truth. And Paul is not saying that the imputed righteousness of Christ is not part of the breastplate of righteousness. But he's saying that the greater thing I'm telling you here is that you are to live righteously in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing is that the Greek word righteousness, diakosune, is often and most often translated in a way that references justification. But in 2 Corinthians 6, 7, in Romans 6, and Ephesians 4, and Ephesians 5, it's clear that Paul uses righteousness as the way he uses it here in verse 14 of chapter 6. And so our standing before God in heaven 
is clothed in the imputed righteousness of Christ. I hope that just absolutely excites you and energizes you and creates great, great joy and boldness in you. Because we're free then to live righteously covered, protected with, think of protected with righteous living that is a powerful protection all sourced in God, all through faith. And then we come to the last part here, put on. Well, back in the 90s when Ray and I went to Israel, we, uh, I just remember we were in Tel Aviv, and there was this really, and I don't say this uh, in any improper way, but there was this really nice-looking woman in a business suit walking down the sidewalk, and she had an Uzi strapped on her shoulder, you know, a machine gun. Purse on one side, Uzi on the other. And that got my attention. I said, it's a good thing I'm married because I would not ask her out for a date. And I saw there's some time to time young people that had Uzis that could sometimes in their military out, uh, outfits, what am I, uniforms, <laughs> other times just in, in civilian clothes with an Uzi strapped on. And I, I thought, this is cool. Probably couldn't get away with that here in Little Rock. And so I asked someone, why do I see young people all over the place, coffee shops, shopping, with Uzi strapped on? And they said, you need to understand, Israel, the country of Israel is surrounded by enemies. Everybody hates them. And their enemies can attack at any moment, at any time, and they can overrun the country in minutes, not hours. And those in our military have to have their weapon with them all the time. Having, having fastened the belt of truth. Not waiting until danger comes. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Not just going about our business thinking that we can just run back home and grab the breastplate and put it on when we need to. You see the point here? It's interesting that the verb used for having the belt of truth fastened, having the breastplate of righteousness on, is in the verbal form of participle, which does not relate, which does not point to past action, present action, future action. It's continual action. In other words, what Paul is saying here is your state needs to be a state of readiness, having the belt on, having the breastplate on. Be like those off-duty soldiers in Israel. Carry your Uzi with you. And so what Paul is describing here is a, a, a soldier who already has his breastplate on. He's already, get this, he's already living a devout life. He's already seeking holiness. He doesn't have to stop and think about it when danger comes. He's already doing it. And the point that Paul is making here is this armor is not something that we can go and fetch from an armory like Christian did at the house on the hill that the Lord of the, um, the house that the Lord of the hill built. 
It is an armor that we have available and must have on 24-7, 365 days a year, year after year. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the understanding of righteousness as holy and devout living as a result of the Spirit's work by faith is reflected in another passage of Scripture that I'd like to read to you. And it's Romans chapter 6. And here in Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is encouraging us. This really is about sanctification, this chapter. And the Apostle Paul is encouraging us. Is it, but by nature, you're, you're under Adam. But yet, what God in his mercy does is that he, he literally takes you. This is what salvation is. He, he takes you out from under Adam. He takes you out of that state of sin, death, and despair. Of deadness to God. And he, and he puts you under Christ. He unites you to Christ. And then the Apostle Paul says this. Because of that, you walk in newness of life. The old self has been crucified. You're no longer enslaved to sin. Therefore, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say this. Because we're under Christ, because we have a new nature, because we, we are considered perfect because of that imputed righteousness of Christ. That's our standing before God, solely on the merits of Christ. Because of that, because you're dead to sin, no longer enslaved to sin, the old self crucified, he says this in verse 12, Romans chapter 6, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. And I want us to stop and think about this for just a moment. When we fall into sin... Do we have full assurance? If we're living a sinful life, do we know just how safe we are in Jesus' hands? No. If you want to lack assurance, sin. It's just that simple. <laughs> if your goal in life is not to be assured of your position in Christ, is not to really be assured of all the covenant promises to be yours, then sin. Because what, one thing that sin does is that we're in sin and we, we, we simply don't have the capacity to, to be assured of our salvation. In fact, the very opposite is true. If you want to fail in the spiritual battle, if you want to be unprotected, then live a sinful lifestyle because that righteousness, that righteous living will not be there and you will lack assurance. But we're not called to that. We're not called to present our members as unrighteousness and be exposed in the battle and lack assurance. 
we're called by the Apostle Paul to present our members, to present our bodies, to present ourselves as instruments of righteousness. And you know as well, just, just by your experience, you know as well as I do, that when you are rightly and truly seeking the Lord, even if you're messing up, but you have a heart for Him, you're repentant, you're pursuing Him, you know as well as I do, your experience is my experience. We have great assurance, right? Righteous living creates assurance. And righteous living is what the Apostle Paul says is that part of that armor that enables us to fight the battle facing the enemy or running like crazy from the enemy. We are protected. Have you, have, you, have you ever thought about righteous living be a protection for you in the battle? That's what the Apostle Paul says. Because righteous living is a product of the work of God. It's a subset of the imputed righteousness of Christ, which is our standing. And in him, we have the freedom to really pursue righteousness by faith here. I have a jacket on. I hope you're able to say that along with me today. Because having a jacket on is the norm for the Christian soldier. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the vastness and the greatness of your truth and of your work in our lives. And Father, I would just say that as we have reflected upon this breastplate of righteousness, that if anything has been said that is confusing, if anything has been said that is in error, oh, Father, we trust you to correct that. Our heart and desire is to live boldly as your people, uh, to fight voraciously for truth, to stand faithfully, living a righteous life as a product of your grace and mercy and power. Lord, we ask you to make us wise to know when to turn and run and rest in that protection of the back. Give us wisdom to know when to stand and to literally plant our feet and face the enemy and rest in that protection that you've provided in the front. Enable us to fight well as your people armed for battle. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.